Okay, well, let's have a word of prayer, then we'll get into our message for today. Father, we're looking at the spiritual warfare. We're, we're involved. It's always been since the day of Christ, Lord, he said it would happen. And it's each generation. But, Lord, we're seeing something more definite for us today than what we here in our country have suffered. And Lord, I pray you'd help us remain true, true to the word through it all. True to Christ, true to stand, and true to endure. Now Lord, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice today who does not know that if they died today that heaven's their home, I pray that today would be the very day they come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. If there's any who has wandered from you, may today be the day to come home. And I'd ask this in Jesus Christ's most precious and holy name. Amen. <clears throat> I did a series on the rapture that we finished up before the revival meeting started. And uh, I had a purpose for inserting that little series there. Because it was looking at things that would say... Most, most things, as a matter of fact, I think Dr. Comfort did that, looked at a lot of things that were happening in the uh, tribulation and just kind of settled on things that were happening in the tribulation and how things are building that. And that's not what I was looking for, uh, although we had some things that are happening in the tribulation. But I was more seeing things going on right now. And I wanted you to see that the, the right now things are looking at the rapture, not the tribulation. But I wanted to do that because... <clears throat> I thought it'd make it a little bit more clear about our faith. Our faith standing in the fires. And today as we see things grow this way, it is of great necessity that our faith stand in the fire. Today we have a, in this country a constitution that is probably under the, its greatest attack ever since it was signed uh, and the Revolutionary War was engaged. The Constitution, we call it a document of the Judeo-Christian ethic by which it was conceived and written as a system of governance that was basically based on the Word of God. Now, many today have tried to change the history. As a matter of fact, that's what humanism, Marxism, uh, critical thinking tries to do. It's done that in Russia, for an example. They changed all the history, started changing the history in the educational system. And in time, they were able to change to a fully communistic government. And they were able to do that because they got the young people, the children, in their schools and then the colleges and so forth. And before too long, they were educated in those areas. And so they were taught, well, we got that at school, so it must be true, it must be right. And so what do they have to do is to change history. Now we see the changing of our history in our country when you see the condemnations of, of George Washington, of, of, of all these great leaders. And uh, I know that even now where Martin Luther King is almost hated, a hated individual, and did some great things, and yet he's hated because they're trying to change the history of the United States. And so, that's when your Constitution is under attack. 
But in reality, the Constitution is a system of ethics and morals and life principles, and they are taken from the Old and New Testaments of God's Holy Word. As a matter of fact, I can give, go as far to say as this as well. It's taken from the King James Bible because they didn't have anything else until then, and they really didn't have it in English till 1611. Well, we were formed by that time, but you need to understand as well that the very, the very same, the very same manuscripts, over 5,400 manuscripts that make up what we call the received text or Textus Receptus for the uh, New Testament, but all of that was was used to any time people try to translate. That's what was used. It wasn't until 1800s that somebody decided, let's do the same thing that they do with, like in Russia, you know, you create new history, so they created new manuscripts, corrupt manuscripts. They said they arrived at it scientifically. <clears throat> and isn't that interesting? Science got it right, is what they say. And every four years they change it. Now, how could that be science if every four years it changes? And see, they find they've got people, even people with a lot of letters behind their names, that fall for it every time. Just that naive. And they fall for it. And so, these are principles, though, in our Constitution that are true uh, statements from the Holy Bible those principles are true in every generation for Christians. Anything of morals, ethics, truth, righteousness, that is direct from, taken from the Word of God and added to a document is something that every Christian should support. Now, I'm saying that, yet the U.S. Constitution is not our Bible. Okay? The church constitution is not our Bible. The Word of God is always the final authority in all matters of life and living. Okay, always, 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 always. That is the Constitution for our individual lives. That's why you should be familiar with it and know the Word of God because it is our final authority. Now, having said all of that, this is not about a constitution, it's not an American thing. I'm just laying out that as a beginning to get us to the Word of God. I thought it would help us to see something here. So let's go to Matthew, our text, <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, and verses 5 through 8. Because the first point I want to make today is our enlistment into God's army in answer to His call. Now, I, I lived in the era in which they, you got a letter that said, greetings. Come in for a physical, we're going to decide whether or not we're going to draft you. Believe it or not, I flunked the physical. My backbone is misformed, they said. <clears throat> they made me 4F. I, I even went by a recruiting station to see if I could join. They said no. But I was 4F which means you can't go in time of war or anything else. 
And you don't think God has a sense of humor? I've never had a problem with my back. I asked the doctor, I said, how does my backbone get like that? He says, well, when you're a little kid, you jump around like little kids do it. I just reshaped it. I said, well, as a senior in high school, I got hit head on 80 miles an hour. Would that do it? He said, yeah. <laughs> you know, he said, it could have. And so, uh, uh, I'd just say, well, maybe God had a purpose for just uh, doing that. I don't know. But nonetheless, God has a purpose for everything. And each of us, if you're saved, you are drafted, so to speak. You have a call for duty in God's army. Yet, unlike the draft of that day, it's more like the day that we live in, in which you have a volunteer army. You volunteer, you have a free will to say, I will follow God's call or I will not follow God's call. Now, most say, well, I'm a Christian, I love God, and so I'm walking in His will, I'm walking in His way. But what I want you to understand is this. Is it God's call in your life? It's what you're doing. See, we get an idea of this is what I'm comfortable with, this is what I'm convenient to, is convenient to me to do as a Christian. And I'll do this, I'll do that, but, you know, all that other stuff. I, okay. When you go into military... You don't say, well, Sergeant, I, I'll get up and I'll march uh, if I feel like it, but until I feel like it, I'm not going. Oh, oh I'll do this. Well, well no, uh, you want me to go over there. You want me to go across the world over to this other area. I don't want to go there, so no, I'm not going to do that. No, you're, you're enlisted. You're there. You don't have a will. It's to carry out their will. Now, mine is to carry out the will of God. Yours is to carry out the will of God. And by the way, we have a loving Heavenly Father. We have a loving God. Carrying out His will is always best. Why? Because all things work together for good to those who love God and for those who are the called according to His purpose. You're called. You say, how can you prove that, preacher? Okay. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. You didn't get it. Well, if you're saved, it was by the grace of God. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. So, you didn't work for it, you didn't earn it. All you had to do is through repentance and faith is receive it. But as many as received him to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Now, those are great verses, but it doesn't stop there. Because we see our call in verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. So understand, there is something that God has before ordained. I believe not only before you got saved, I think before the foundation of the world, in case you got saved. In case you received Him. Because remember, you were made in God's image. If you're made in God's image, God is a spirit, God has a free will. 
God didn't have a human body when we were born or when he created man. Man had a created, had a created human body, Adam, but not God. Jesus didn't have one until 2,000 years ago. So how was Adam made in God's image if Jesus didn't have a human body at that time or anybody else? God's image is because God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And so God is a spirit. That spirit has a free will. So unless God lies to us, I really don't believe that he does. As a matter of fact, I know he doesn't. Every part of his truth, word is truth. There's no error. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. He is absolute truth, which critical thinking says there are no absolutes, which is a pretty dumb statement to make because in that statement would be wrong because they said there are no absolutes. But they're making an absolute statement. So they would be wrong. So what I'm saying is, is that you have that free will to either accept or reject God's word, God's way, what he wants you to do. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. Now the question that you ask yourself, you don't answer to me, you answer to yourself before God. If God has a specific will, and he does for me as a saved person, Am I doing that specific will? I remember in the first church I pastored, this man, he, he eventually became a deacon and the treasurer of the church. But when he first came to the church, I, I remembered saying, oh man, uh, great to see you. And I said, boy, I'd love to see you back here again on uh, Sunday night. He said, just be happy that I came today said, okay, so uh, I stayed on him for a while, and he got to coming another time, another time he got to coming regularly, and uh, he began to grow in the Lord, and, and um, uh, he, he eventually just became a deacon and a good servant of the Lord, involved in all the things of the church, but boy, when he first come, I first talked to him, yeah, I'm saved. I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. And he had that attitude. Well, I'm not going to do that. It's not convenient. Now, it's just like a little bit ago they were talking about uh, we need uh, workers in the nursery. And, and you might be a person here, you're not doing anything as far as that. You're coming. I'm thankful you come. I really am. That's a blessing because I don't want to see it before God that you're standing before him and you've been forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. But do you think God has brought us together not to fulfill having people to work in the various ministries that need fulfilled. So maybe God could use you, and you could be involved in that ministry. But let's, let's go on from that. Have you gotten your knees and sought the Lord? Said, Lord, what would you have me to do? Show it to me. Whether it's through the preaching of the word, whether it's through the study of the word, however, show me what you want me to do, and whatever he wants you to do, you can put this down. Whatever God wants you to do, it will never, never contradict the Word of God. Never. It will always be in line with it. And so having said that, we see in verse 5 of our text, 
These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, go, into the way of the, uh, go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not. Now, Samaritans were half Jew. Of course, that would make them half Gentile. He says, I want you to go specifically to my people. See, a lot of times there's a ministry to just the people of God. Now, we've known the ministry of Jesus. There were people who got saved that were Gentiles, that were Samaritans. But his original sending out is, let's get the people of God right. Let's get them right. And so he has been on the mountain. He's had his disciples, and he's named his 12 disciples there in that chapter. And so having named them in the chapter, we go on to verse uh, 6. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now I want you to know something. Judas Iscariot was one of those chosen to go. He was chosen to be part of the twelve. That was not a mistake in judgment on Jesus' part. That was an opportunity from the love of God's heart. Judas had a free will to either accept or reject the way of the Lord. So he was one of them. Uh, and boy, that was great just to be a part of that group. I mean, boy, that would have been tremendous. He's seen all the things that God, he saw all the things God do, did. And you know, I've seen preachers who one time were fundamental. I mean, they would stand in the church, they would preach against sin, they would name it, they would do those things. And boy, when the contemporary groups got started up, boy, they were hollering as hard as anybody about it and against it and so forth. And in time, they're there. I've seen a lot, a lot of young preachers get started, boy, they'd just be hot, going strong, and then... They're caught by that. That's why I guess the Lord told uh, them through the pen of the Apostle Paul that the pastor should not be a novice. Because he could see the enemy coming in and getting a hold of him. That is the enemy that, that is not the people themselves, but those people that Satan uses to draw them away to these other things. And so... Uh, I've seen those for advancement and fame and so forth, or like a Judas, when they think it's going to be to their benefit, they go the other direction. And so many have done that. So he says in verse 7, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I think that he's referring to the way things will be a little bit in the millennial day. Uh, because he says in verse 8, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely give. See, you received it freely, you didn't earn it, freely. 
See, there is in the millennium healing. The disease are take, is taken away. I mean, the wolf and the lamb shall lie down together. We read that in Isaiah chapter 11. Of, in the millennium, they shall not kill nor destroy in all his holy mountain. They, they won't do any of that. That will be changed. Why? Because Satan is chained for a thousand years. So that's the way it is for a thousand years. All is peace. It's not until Satan is released at the end of the thousand years that he goes out and deceives the nations one, one more time. And multitudes are deceived. Because they did not develop a relationship with the Lord. And so you find that these people who had an opportunity to get right with God as the Jewish people, they were sent to them. And they were given these signs to do that showed that Jewish people, God is still in control. By the way, with everything you see going on in this country and in this world, don't for one minute think that God is still not in control. He is still in control. See, he's not threatened by what the world does. He will move and he will do in his time. And so ours is to know that God has a specific will for us and ours is to seek it individually with our heart. No other way. Seek it totally with your heart. And so, we see our enlistment. But we also see our exhortation as soldiers of the King of Kings. Now tonight, to see the next part of our exhortation, I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 17, verses 19 through 21. For there we find out in that passage, that these 12 that went out, and they cast out devils. Now you think about that. Even Judas is a part of that. They're going out. They're casting out devils. They're healing people that have leprosy. I mean, they had a rule for the people back then with leprosy. They had to wear a veil over their face. It had to cover their nose and mouth. Now, the other people didn't have to do that. I guess that was God's way because... You know, you breathe out carbon dioxide. Why keep it there against your nose with all that poison? But nonetheless, they had to cover their face. They had to yell unclean when people got, uh, started getting close. And then what happens? Jesus comes and heals them completely. They're healed completely. These disciples were given that ability to touch and heal these people completely. They could cast out devils. I mean, when you see these things that they, they did, it's amazing. And yet, we'll find out when we get to Matthew tonight, chapter 17, that there is another scenario that goes on. And that's why there's an exhortation for the Christians. Because these same men who have all this ability will have a big embarrassing failure. Now, 
What happens today to so many Christians, and I'm talking about even in independent Baptist churches, we have a religion. Oh, we're not Catholic, we're not Mormons, we're not Methodists, we're not uh, Hindus, uh, we're, we're, we're not anything else, we're not Muslim. No, we have the right beliefs, we have the right doctrine, we have those things. And yet, even as a fundamental independent Baptist, you can become just a religious person who lives by these things because that's what we're supposed to do, not knowing that that is not the ultimate of holiness. You have, if you're holy, you'll have standards that are far above the standards you even have now. And many times we just have a religion. But you know, you can have religion. You can have thoughts about God, but you don't really know Him. You say, wait a minute. I know Him. He's my Lord and Savior. Now, that's not what I'm talking about. What about when you first got married? Did you realize after you're married, within the first week, I didn't really know this person? Oh, we dated for three years, but you still didn't really know this person. Why? Because you knew them as an individual. You knew them as a, uh, somebody you liked, somebody you grew to love. But there were things about their personality, their person, that was not revealed to you. That you just didn't see it. You married, yeah, I should have seen that. But you see, that's as the years grow on, you grow to know the person. And that's all right. That's better. You see, when they're getting married, they're moved by infatuation. But when you're married and you stick with it, divorce is not an answer. Rather, you walk with the Lord and allow Him to sustain you through anything that you have to go through. Amen. And you let God use you. Then you'll find out that the love you have for that individual is a true abiding love. That's the way God wants us to love our spouses. But having said that, what I'm getting at is this simple thing. A lot of us have that love for God that is an infatuation with some things, but really don't know His person, and many times not even realizing in our life that we're offending them, just like when you were first married, you didn't realize that would offend Him, that, wouldn't, that would offend her, whatever the case may be. You didn't realize it. I mean, I grew up, that's the way it happened when I grew up. Why can't it be that way now? You're in a different home. You've left mother and dad. You're cleaving to one another. We've left this world. Now let's cleave unto the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why in coming to Him, we repent. 
In Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. And there, when he said perish, he's talking about not just physical death, he's talking about hell. Two verses later, I mean, that's 13, 3, 13, 5, he says the exact same words. Except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And he used the example of people that had some tragedies. I mean, major tragedies. It took out groups of people. He says, you think they were sinners above all? Except you repent, you're going to perish. As a matter of fact, we even got a command from God in Acts chapter 17, verse 30, and 31, where he says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now, and what was he winking at? All this religion where this was written. At Mars Hill. Oh, they had all these statues. They had all these things there. They had all these gods there. And it says, In the times of this ignorance God winked at. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Who commands? God commands. Not the preacher. God commands. God commands all men everywhere to repent because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world. In righteousness. In other words, in righteousness means by the measure of his righteousness. Not what we call righteous, what he calls righteous. What is shown us in the Word of God is righteous. By his righteousness, by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. That is why you and I are accepted in Christ. We are accepted in Christ. When you're saved, when you stand before the Lord, yeah, I asked the Lord to save me, man, I've just been going after it. Boy, I've been doing a great job, Lord. I, you know, I didn't kill anybody. No. It is, you are accepted in the Beloved. You are accepted in the Beloved. There are some places I just can't go. But if I know somebody, and that person has access, I can go right in with that person and walk behind them, walk with them, and they'll say, he's with me. Guess what Jesus is going to say one day? He's with me. She's with me. That is if you are saved. There's a reason we read in Romans chapter 10. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Not our righteousness. Not believing so hard that we're really righteous now. No. Unto the righteousness of Christ. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth Confession is made into salvation. Confession, you know what it means? The term, for, if you read it in a dictionary, of a Bible dictionary, say to say the same thing as. And that's a fairly good 
uh, definition of it, but here's the idea though. Sometimes that leaves out the whole thing. To say the same thing as is, Lord, I deserve the penalty for this sin. I am fully guilty. I should die for this. But I know that you love me and gave yourself for me and you rose up from the dead. Therefore, since you want me to be saved, I'll be saved. I'll receive you as my Lord and Savior. And you're my God. You're my Lord. It's not me. It's all about you. Oh, Lord, save me. My friend, there is a spiritual warfare. But God won't take you into his army until you're a citizen of heaven. To be a citizen of heaven, you must receive him as your Lord and Savior. But if you do know him as your Savior, are you doing what he would have you to do? If not, the Bible's very clear. You'll be ashamed at his appearing, saved so as by fire. And by the way, it's just not you that's going to know that. One day your children, if they're saved, will be there. All those in Christ will be there. They too, they too will see the hidden things of darkness are made manifest. The thoughts and intents of the heart are made manifest. And they'll see, as all of us will see, for each of us, saved by grace. Saved by grace. Let's bow our heads, please.